Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller. Hello, everyone. This is Jeffrey Tiefertiller back with another Service Management Leadership Podcast. Today, I have the joy. I have uh, an exciting guest for you. I say exciting, not pumping you up. Wasim Hamed. Wasim is a VP in an operations type of role for a bank, a big bank. And he and I interact on LinkedIn all the time. And we're service management people. We think like that. So I, with all that ado, Wasim, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Jeffrey. It's just a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be with you. So Wasim, I very much appreciate you taking the time to review and offer feedback on my book, the I Till Four, The New Frontier, only because I get trapped in my own thoughts. And we all do. We all don't realize that our blind spots. And so I appreciate your feedback. Give me a different perspective. And so thank you. So no, today. Thank you. Thank today, you. I, I really appreciate it. I actually enjoy reading the book. Um, and, uh, you know, always, always good to have content from you. Um, love reading it and love interacting with you on the LinkedIn. So thanks for the opportunity. Oh, thank you. And so Wasim and I come from very different backgrounds. But what's really interesting is we kind of see the world, the service management world from the same point of view. At least I'm projecting that onto you with Sam. <laughs> but no. well, I think ideas some professionals, I guess, from that perspective, I think they have got a different lens, right? So we think from a different perspective where others are not. And it's kind of a, you know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. So it's kind of a, you know, that kind of a deal. So I agree. So Wasim, I have a loaded question for you coming out of that you you may or may not have uh, been asked before, okay? Sure. How do you explain what you do from a service management point of view, somebody that doesn't even know what uh, how to spell IT? <laughs> That's a very good question, actually, very interesting. So yeah, um, you know, I think to, to somebody who doesn't really know about IT and anything to explain it to them what a service management is, I think we kind of probably look at it from a service perspective, you know, um, may, maybe something like, which is, you know, not have an ITSM, but just has an SM, which is service management, right? So um, it's, you know, any kind of service, you know, we're providing in any business, whatever we do, uh, just kind of probably have to look from that perspective, um, you know, how to deliver a service, um, you know, when you have a car shop or maybe, you know, ice cream parlor or something like that. So it's a service reporting to the customers, client, end users. So um, same thing, you know, we should take the same model to, to the IT, um, you know, so basically that becomes IT service. So, And that was a setup. So today's uh, conversation, we're going to have three topics. And we're going to okay. lead with CMDB. And so CMDB is a way, I think of it as foundational to any service management organization because all your CIs are there. It defines the scope of your service management organization and all of that sort of view. Is that the way you see it or do you see it a different way? I see the same way. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a service, you know, uh, CMDB is, is a central, you know, point. Of course, that's where, you know, uh, uh, you know where, where our services are defined and everything and, and uh, measure for that matter too. So I, I totally see this the same way. Um, absolutely. Yep. Especially as I, I'm going to pile on if you may, if I may, yeah, as sure. we go from configuration items and assets that are pure IT and yep. here, if it hasn't in every organization, it's going to be soon going to expand outside of that. 
So in the banking world, you have non-traditional IT configuration items that will be in a CMDB. Yeah. And I think uh, hospitals have technology everywhere. You think every organization is soon going to be a technology organization. Yeah. And so another, another question for you is that the CMDB is a big, a big role there. First of all, do you see it that way? And second yeah. of all, how do you think people can, can do that effectively? So yeah, I, I definitely do it the same way, see, see the same way. So you know, and I'm in my experience, I've seen that you know companies or organizations they're they're you know launching on that digital transformation, right? More specifically, um, you know, from from you know pandemic perspective, since that pandemic started, a lot of lot of companies are you know people are working you know remote, um, you know, and then they're they're you know they're not physically there in the in the office or or for for, for whatever reason or oh, I mean from pandemic perspective right so they're trying to to build that you know uh digital transformation taking the the same model and then going towards the digital space so in that um CMDB plays a very important role um if i'm not mistaken i was reading a study the other day um you know uh, i believe that the uh from Harvard business perspective um you know Harvard business review they were saying that 23 to 25% of the executive agree um, that they're um, that they lack the processes and people um, you know side of uh, uh, side of of, of that um, uh, view. Uh, so CMDB comes into the same picture, right? I mean, you know, people and process is very important. Um, so so I think that you know uh, people process technology, all three of those are extremely important from that perspective. So another piling on question. So last week I put out a poll on LinkedIn about people thinking what's the percentage of compliance if you're a ServiceNow person. All right, just, uh, I know that you know this was seen, but for those listening in ServiceNow, completeness means if you have an Excel spreadsheet or all the boxes filled in. Compliance means are they right? And are they right is what we care about. And other tools call it different, but Roughly two thirds of the people were under eighty percent, and I think the ones that were in the ninety to hundred percent, I don't think that I don't know how accurate that is. That was a high number, but yeah, I just haven't found very many people that do the CMDB well, and their business stakeholders are like, "Yes, I have confidence in that data." Right. I, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. I mean, in my experience, honestly, um, the perception is totally different than reality, right? Um, you know, um, you you will find a lot of executives saying, "Oh, yeah, you know, they've got everything, you know, um, um, you know, um, the way it's supposed to from compliance perspective, from otherwise, right?" But but the reality is totally different. I mean, um, you know, I've seen companies, you know, um, they don't even have federated database CMDB. Um, they're only, only using one CMDB. They think this is the whole thing. I mean, and that's not even complete. So you know, so it's uh, yeah. I mean, I I, I don't know th- that poll. I actually saw it, so I was kind of wondering about it. Those small percentage they were saying, ninety percent above. I questioned that. I was like, "Well, is that really true or not?" So I, I agree with you on that. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, I, I don't want to pick on those people. It's hard to have a ninety percent CMDB because yeah. what happens is people at first they they bite off to use a midwestern U.S. term, bite <laughs> off too much. At the beginning, and they, you know, whether it's CI classes, which would be scope or attributes, which is also scope. And then the more you have, it costs more and the more difficult it is to keep up. And you mentioned people in process. 
Yep. The process and governance and improvement aspect of the CMDB is tough. And yeah. I don't think it gets enough love from the way you pointed out earlier. It's, it's really hard. I mean, CMDB is very misunderstood at a different level. I mean, any, every organization or IT shop you go to, they've got a different understanding of, uh, of CMDB. Uh, I, I believe that, um, you know, one of the organizations I worked for, or I consulted earlier before coming to city, um, you know, <laughs> that, that's the place I'm working right now. So um, that organization um, at that time, a um, few years back, I'll say back like maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, you know, they, they had a pretty good team. Um, and I would say that they're even directors uh, were actually actual practice every director I, I go to and then and I was consulting they were they actually um, you know um, were looking for for uh, improving their configuration management and asset management program within their organization at that time um, uh, and yeah I mean I, I was amazed like how very very well worth they were and I tell an ITSM uh, because like I mentioned that even their directors were actual practitioners right every director you go to you usually don't find that um, in in in, in, it's not common. It's not really uh, common that we're going to find at that level people very versed in ITIL ITSM uh, framework, really actually knowing what they're doing. So <laughs> it's uh, it's very rare, very very rare. That was the one organization I found that they knew what they were doing. So it's not really it's not really easy. It's very hard. I, I see in my experience companies struggle for for years and years and years implementing CMDB. Um, you know, they might have something, but it's not, it's not something the way it's supposed to. <laughs> well, I think one of the problems is, and you touched on this earlier, is it's too tools, it's too much tool centric. Okay. And so I had a role at KPMG for their internal where I had change and config and knowledge, you know, all that stuff release. And when I took over, it was on try number six of getting the CMDB right. Wow. And it had never been above 59%. And the last time was because they turned on discovery. And it, you know, when you have a big enterprise and you turn on discovery and just let it happen, yeah, it finds everything and you can't make sense of it. And that was people who were practitioners, knew what they were supposed to be doing, sure. but they right. didn't understand the process part of it. And, you know, it's just hard. I, I don't want to minimize anyone. It's hard. And you have to have people that know what they're doing. Does that seem fair? That is that is 100% fair. Um, you know, it's it's a challenge. Um, you know, uh, and, and some 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 organization think that, you know, hey, if we just have a tool, it's going to solve everything. It's like a magic wand. But it's not, you know, I mean, you, it's, it's hard to tell them, no, it's not a, it's not a magic wand. You're not just going to bring in a tool and expect everything to work flawlessly. That's not going to work like that, you know. So it's, it's very hard. And then, like I said, it's, it's, it's more perception than reality, right? You know, people think that this is how it's going to be. But in reality, it's totally different. So let's combine those two thoughts. All right. So first, we talked about the CIs expanding across the enterprise outside of IT. And so that's the direction we want to go. But at the behind that, we're like, well, you know, most CMDBs are not being successful. And now they're yeah. being asked to do more, which is a challenge, yet an opportunity to, you know, get the house in order and show value. Right, right, exactly. I mean, I, I think that, you know, um, 
it, I, like I, said, I mentioned earlier that, you know, um, most of the organization, they don't, um, you know, are, they're not able to produce value out of, out of uh, CMDB because of, you know, I, I guess there are, there are certain challenges, right? Um, I, I guess one of the challenges is to, to have, um, you know, a federated data, uh, sorry, federated CMDB that I have not, I have rarely seen exist in, in any, any IT shop or, or organization, be it be small, medium, large, um, and, and they have desperate systems, basically, um, you know, uh, somewhere I've seen that, you know, um, uh, they have uh, business have their own, um, you know, uh, CMDB, and then IT have their own CMDB. They don't, um, you know, uh, uh, talk to each other somehow or some some way, and 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 they're maintaining their own, and they're maintaining their own. Um, they don't talk to each other. So so I think um, um, culture is another another channel challenge where you know um, they don't really you know uh, uh, understand from from what 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 and how and and where. Um, and, uh, and I think um, another challenge would be, um, you know, uh, uh, discovery, you know, auto, like you mentioned earlier, auto discovery and manual discovery. Uh, and, and there's not a, a set frequency where things happen. You know, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of, a, um, you know, um, it, the process is not, not there or not understanding of process. Um, and then, you know, so those, those challenges, you know, uh, culture and, and uh, um, uh, discovery, you know, uh, how how to do it like you mentioned earlier they do discovery uh, and most of the time it's it's something automatic and you know they don't really uh combine both of them automatic manual and then they don't probably verify that and stuff like that so those are some challenges that i think that they're there at this time um where basically you know the, it doesn't provide any value at that you know when, when when we do it this way so oh yes and uh to pile on that i i keep adding to because you're offering great commentary is yeah. that you know, the network team may keep their stuff in Cisco works and they're like, I'm not keeping up in the CMDB as well. Or, yeah. you know, you also look at uh, discovery. Is it, is it meeting what the stakeholders, when we, we put in the CMDB, do we say what, what data do we need back out of it and build it around there? Do we throw in the CMDB because it's a tool and we know how to implement tools right. and without any purpose and then you see these like uh, what was it last month where shell oil had to uh, re implement their their whole service now instance right because it wasn't done that happens way too frequently because people put things in without purpose and the tool i'm not picking on anyone specifically but the tool implementer is incentivized to implement the tool not make sure it's usable for the client. Absolutely, I, I totally uh, totally agree on that one. Um, you know, one of the things uh, you know when I was mentioning challenges earlier, it also comes into mind that um, you know uh, uh, I think I think organizational companies probably think that they need to have the, the you know just one CMDB and then put everything in there. You know, uh, be it be financial, be it be uh, HR and anything like that. You know, uh, it's kind of a challenge to understand um, for for some companies that you know um, not everything has to be maintained within the CMDB. Not everything has to be a CI. Um, you know, and then also they can have a, a you know they can have a separate system which is basically a financial or HR or whatever. But they can always mirror in, in, into that federated CMDB, right? So I think I think that's some that's a major challenge that you've got def different like multiple CMDBs out there and and not really good good uh, you know configuration management process around it. 
uh, or asset management process around it, you know, for that matter. So I think those are pretty good challenges that kind of, you know, uh, you know, uh, I see that they um, block those value for TMDP, you know. Oh, yes. And it's one of those that we, we it's buried so deep in IT, the business stakeholder, it's almost bit, uh, binary to them. They either think I have confidence in it or there is no way I have confidence in it. You know, there's there's really no nothing in between. So yeah. moving on to our second topic, a few days, weeks ago, you mentioned in a LinkedIn post about the watermelon effect. Yes. And I... I've written about it. It's in the book, Watermelon Metrics. And it's something I've used for a while because right. I think we all, especially because I live in the South in the U.S. and so do you, we all know what a watermelon is, right? right. So right. why don't you explain to us, please, the watermelon effect of how it impacts like our metrics and our some of our IT-centric KPIs, CSS, things of that nature. Yeah, absolutely. So Watermelon, just like just described, right? I mean, it's uh, you know red, you know from 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 the inside, but you know, uh, sorry, uh, uh, um, green from the uh, outside and red from the inside, right? So on the outwardly, it, it it looks that if you have metrics and you know, it looks like that. Oh, you know, everything is good. Our services are good. You know, we have no issues. And you know, when we reporting to our metrics, and it was like, oh, yep, everything is is good, up and running. We're, we're good, but. When you dig that into it, you know, you find that no, you know, it's not really, it's not really green, it's it's red, you know, because um, you know, for, for whatever reason, the, the way they're measuring the services. So I give you an example for incident management, right? I mean, um, uh, or change for that matter, but let's talk about incident first, right? Um, uh, and if you're if you're if you're uh, reporting, a, a, uh, I would say availability or service availability for that matter um, to to see how our services are doing, we you know probably sometime will look at operational metrics, but not actually CSM and KPIs for that matter, right? So when we look at operational metrics, it was like oh you know um, you know we have like we have like maybe fifty last month and we have like, you know, 10 this month, or maybe now, you know, uh, we're looking at like, maybe like, you know, five next months, you know, from predictive analysis or whatever. Um, so we're only looking at operational metrics and, and, and on the outwardly, everything is good, you know, uh, uh, you know, our, our, your, our volume for incidents is going down. Um, so we're green, right? So, but in actuality, when you look at it, you know, uh, we've got our root causes and, 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 you know, our repeat incidents and, you know, for that matter, um, reoccurrences for that matter are, are not really the same. Are we, you know, uh, do our, K, our CSFs are, are not the same. Our KPIs are not the same, but our operational metrics are green, right? So um, that's what I think, you know, that's what the watermelon effect is, you know. I had one, I'm not gonna mention which former employer, but the people, the person who's a director, one of my peers over incident and problem, he, every, not every, but a lot of the P1s that came in, he manually moved them down to P2s, P3s. And so it showed like, oh man, his response and resolution time's great. But his business customer is unhappy because their stuff is down. And it's one of those that the watermelon effect is one that it's all from the customer's point of view. This is my my perspective. It's all yeah. from the customer's point of view. You mentioned incident. Yeah. You know, if if we another one I saw this same person do is reopen the same incident so we wouldn't have two incidents on the same thing after the problem yeah. went through. Right. <laughs> and so it's one of those that 
when we cut into it, we have to think from the business consumer point of view, would they be happy with this? <laughs> and if not, there's no way it's it's green. Right, exactly. If your customers are unhappy, they they are feeling it and they're not really, you know, saying that, you know, what what we're delivering, what we promised to them, and then uh, you know it's not being it's not been delivered. Of course, then and but but your metrics or your operational metrics, for that matter, say otherwise. Um, then of course there is something wrong there, right? And and same and and I mentioned the same uh, uh, change uh, perspective, right? Some change management, right? I mean, um, you've got change metrics, right? And then you know um, in some places um, they would they would use you know, change process, um, successfulness or, or, you know, how the change process is, is, is doing, but in, in, you know, in other words, so you got uh, a change failure, basically the change did not reach its intended purpose. It's a fail, right? But, um, if you look at it from change process perspective, well, people follow the change process and, and they said, well, we followed it. So we're good. <laughs> you know, uh, it doesn't matter if we had a service instruction or not, but, you know, and so that's another watermelon effect right there, watermelon metric there, uh, which basically looks pretty green from outward because, you know, people follow the change process, but in actuality, it did cause an interruption in a service. So <laughs> that's actually red. It's not green. So that's another example of that, of course. And it's from the business point of view, right? The business would look at it and say, there's no way that thing's green, right? There's no exactly. way. Exactly. And so I think the world of IT and IT service management is littered with these. And we could go on and on about it. Yeah. But why do you think there's so many? I have my own views, but I want to give you a chance to answer. Why are there so many watermelon effect metrics? Um, I, I think um, I, I honestly think that I've you know worked with with a lot of organizations and um, you know uh, from consulting side, um, ITSM consulting and also um, being an employee as well, different different companies, right? Um, I, I I see a common um, you know theme there or a trend for that matter, if you want to call it. Um, uh, it it's uh, I think it's lack of understanding uh, of um, you know IT always look inwardly. Um, they 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 don't look at service um, as a service, right? I mean, it, it's always technology. Um, you know, how are we doing? And are we you know basically uh, um, you know from technology perspective? Uh, but but it's not that how we're providing our services, are our customers happy? It's two different view, right? Um, and, and I think uh, we'll probably have a conversation this morning as well um, uh, on LinkedIn. We're talking about that, you know, uh, uh, service um, uh, service value, right? Um, to, to create that service value uh, for for the business. Um, and that um, you know, most of the time we don't we don't look at it from IT perspective. Uh, we you know, from are we providing value to our to our customers for that matter, or our clients for that matter, right? Um, and I think it's just a view. Um, we, I think I think that needs to be changed. But this has been going on for a long time. It's not it's not just now though. You know, technology has been like that for IT folks have been like that. It, it's just purely purely technical. You know, they don't they don't tend to understand the business side of it. So I think I think that's one of the reasons. Um, you know, uh, uh, it, it it happens. Um, you know, um, those 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 other one of the reasons I would say. I also I want to add to it. I want to get your perspective. I think we're measuring the wrong things at times. And let me give you an example. Yes. I think that having volume net metrics, like the number of changes, it doesn't matter. What I right. One of the metrics that I started using through my career was a percentage of emergency changes to normal changes. I wanted to have some kind of urgency index. So I knew, are we 
are there, is there something underlying that's causing us to have more urgency than we really should? You know, right. I think that we have too much, we rely on volume metrics, which can easily be watermelons. Right, 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 exactly. Uh, and, and also, um, yeah, I mean, you know, having just volume and operational for that matter metrics is not, it's not simple enough. I mean, it's not enough to gauge, you know, whether you have a, a, a good service um, you know, delivery or not. I mean, because, you know, I, I think critical success factors and, you know, key performance, and performance indicators are, are the two key areas I, I've seen a lot of, lot of companies miss out. They, they only have, they only focus on volume, right? Are we going up or down? And that's basically it, <laughs> you know, but that doesn't give you a true picture. I mean, it's, it's absolutely uh, not the right picture, what, what we need to improve upon, um, you know, to make a decision upon for that matter, right? I mean, what do we need to change? Um, you know, so we can't have just operational metrics and then, then say, oh, you know, everything is good. <laughs> so one of the ones I've talked about a few times, especially when we talk, when I've had asset, software asset people on, is one of this is an example that was, it just hit me square in the face. So I was looking in the SAM tool, I won't mention which, and it showed a certain Adobe title as green, because it would had, and I was like, that's fine. I'll click on it. We'll dig down. So we had 13 and we were using zero. That's not yeah. green. Yes, <laughs> it is from a compliance point of view, right. but there's an efficiency aspect. So when I cut into it, there's an efficiency aspect that was not being met. And yeah. I think it's the way we look at it, right? It's yeah. the problem. What problem is it we're trying to solve? Come back to a CMDB conversation. Exactly. So how do you think uh, leaders can get the mindset for resolving these watermelon effects, um, helping to cut into them, even if it's figuratively, and understand that, that there's something underlying here? I think um, I think culture has to do a lot of it, and then again, also um, more education, more understanding of what ITSM. Um, you know, it really is, right? I mean, um, you know, it's at the end of the day, providing value to, to, to our customers or clients, right? I mean, so understanding it, how to do that. And, um, you know, like I gave you an example before, um, you know, uh, only one company I have worked for, consulted for, actually, um, you know, they, they, I was really impressed with them that even at their director level, they did understand what uh, truly ITSM, ITIL, um, uh, you know, meant and, and what it means. And then driving from that, it's, it's um, I think everybody knows that, um, um, you know, all ITIL practitioners and everybody knows that, that, that this is a top-down approach. It's not a bottom-up. Um, so top-down, um, uh, you know, I, I think that, I think executives and executive management um, really need to understand uh, what, what it means to, to, to have, um, you know, um, a deployed, uh, you know, IT service management at a level where, you know, they can, they can understand what, what service delivery they're looking at, what value they're providing. Um, and, and I think it's just need to replicate through all the organizations. Yes. And I'm right there with you. And I think a lot of times we default to the, the metrics that are in the tool and we think that's best practice. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. And we just default to that. So on that note, what are some of the best metrics that you've implemented, that you've seen, that you like, that kind of, I don't want to say help get rid of the watermelon effect, but help leaders understand the services from their business stakeholders point of view? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, my best metrics, you know, I'll look at it from, you know, uh, I give you, yeah, I keep on going back to incident, problem and change. And that's what I've kind of worked, you know, around um, in, op in IT operations um, area. So, um, you know, I, I honestly think that um, operational metrics, just like, you know, saying that oh, we're up, going up and down, is not really enough. Uh, what I've seen and um, uh, in, in my experience, and I think that what are the best metrics I work with are, um, you know, uh, those, those critical success factors, the one that at the end of the day make a difference, you know, not, not just that, you know, okay, how many MIMS we are, you know, major incident management, how many MIMS we had or major incidents we had, um, you know, but also looking at that, you know, okay, well, what about the meantime to restore, meantime between failures, meantime between, um, you know, success, uh, you know, service up and down, service availability, um, you know, I mean, what are, what are our critical success factors we're, we're measuring? So those, um, you know, service availability, uh, you know, time between failures, um, and all those doors are those are the one I have experienced. Um, change success rate, um, you know, are we providing? Are, is the change meeting the intended purpose? Um, you know, uh, basically from that perspective. Um, also from governance and risk and compliance perspective as well, right? I mean, not just up and down, but hey, are we are we meeting uh, our our governance and risk? Um, you know, or not? Uh, so those are the those are the, the the I would say you know measuring your critical success factors as opposed to operational metrics are the are the best metrics I've been around. Yes, and I like when you're talking about major incident management. I I got to confess something. I have in recent times gone back to the ITIL B three books, the Service Operations Service Transition book, and looked at those for ideas on how to push forward because a lot of those are better and deeper thought process metrics than what's in the tool. Right. One such metric that's not in there that I really like, and it's not in, you don't see it in books, but in it both for change and incidents, especially major incidents, is the cost of an outage. Because if we measure uptime, which is awesome, it depends on what industry you're, you're in, you're in the banking world, an incident, two incidents that are alike and everything else other than day of the week and time of the day are not the same. So right. one that, that hits a bank at midnight on Sundays, even in our 24-hour cycle that's picking up and going 24 by 7, that's right. totally different than Monday at 10 a.m. Right. Monday at 10 a.m., a major incident is yeah. bad news. And so I yeah. want to understand cost of the outage, right? Because if I'm a leader yeah. and I my business people are yelling at me, this is the way I can quantify to either get new res more resources because hey, this is costing us a bunch. We'll be down. Let's get more resources, or yeah. to to maybe alter how we do changes, alter some of our other behaviors. Right, right, right. Exactly. I mean, they are not two 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 major incidents are not the same, right? Um, uh, and, and unless, like I was going to say that, you know, when you mentioned it's, it's unless it's a day before Thanksgiving, right? I mean, people, <laughs> you know, people are hitting the, the, the you know, at, at all nighter, you know, I mean, and then Cyber Monday or something like that, right? Um, yeah. You know, they're just going, <laughs> they're going crazy. So yeah, those outages, but of course, those are the time frame isolated during that time, right? On a normal, on a normal, um, you know, business and, you know, Sunday, 12 o'clock or whatever, you know, one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning. It's not the same thing as Monday, eight o'clock, nine o'clock for that matter when your branch is open or something like that, right? If, if, if it's a financial industry for, for that matter. So yeah, I, I agree on that. <laughs> and so I'm, I, I'm always baffled 
And I mean that like, sat there with that dad face on, shaking my head, baffled by some of the organizations I've worked for that they did not see the change implementation timing from their business stakeholders point of view. They did it for their own convenience point of view, not from the stakeholder point of view of, let's look at this from a risk aspect. Right, exactly. I mean, I'm totally with you with that, right? I mean, that happens so quite often, right? I mean, um, doesn't matter the industry, I mean, but it does happen so quite often. I mean, um, like I was saying earlier too, right? I mean, we touched base on that earlier too, that, you know, um, you know, it's all about IT, right? I mean, providing value. So we'll just look at, you know, ourselves, what is convenient to us, not, you know, to the customer. Um, it, it's it's kind of amazing that, you know, it, it happens, right? I mean, I don't understand, um, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> to your point, you know, I'm baffled with that too. You know, why, you know, why are we going to do that? It's, it's the same thing, you know, I, I was saying earlier that, um, you know, uh, our salespeople, they would go to the, to the, to the, to the businesses and, you know, and then, and then promise something what IT cannot deliver, right? I mean, you know, we say 99.999, you know, availability and, and then we get it signed and all that stuff where we're, we don't even know what our IT capability and capacity and demand for that matter is. So it's kind of a, you know, give and take. And then, then we end up, you know, losing so much money because we cause an service interruption, um, you know, because just because, you know, salespeople and an IT folks are not in, in, in sync. And they're incentivized differently, right? You yes, know, exactly. We, exactly. I have this, the older I get, the, I, I have this core belief that we all do what we're incentivized to do. Yes. My kids are incentivized to do one thing. And if they don't do what I ask, it's because, they feel like they're incentivized to do something else, right? I mean, I just think we're all capitalists down in our heart. We do what we're incentivised to do. Absolutely, absolutely. So, and, and hence the metrics too, right? So yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah. so on our last question, before we move on to the next and last topic, how can someone improve the way they measure compliance and health and performance? Because those to me are the three big categories. How can they do that better? So, um, you know, we talk ITL and ITSM and, you know, uh, in, in a broader and, and of course, there are some other frameworks out there, for example, COVID, right? I mean, I, I honestly think that, uh, you know, uh, if we go by risk and compliance, you know, I mean, I think that's the, that's the better way to look at it, right? I, I think that that's how we can manage those risks and compliance, making sure that, you know, We've got, you know, we've got, and then of course, you know, uh, companies get audited as well, right? Um, and then so different people use different, someone's using SOC, some are using COVID and stuff like that. So I, I think that using those frameworks helps a lot. Um, and I think, I think just not just using it, I think that understanding of those frameworks is another thing, right? I mean, um, you know, same thing like I tell ITSM, right? Um, um, you know, we have different people implementing in a different pace, different, you know, backgrounds, different, you know, uh, speed and stuff like that. And then different understanding for that matter, right? Um, and same thing with, you know, governance risk and compliance as well. I think that it's, it's a matter of understanding how to do that, how to deploy it. But, you know, we, we've got those frameworks out there, right? I mean, I hardly see people using them, right? I mean, we got Agile, we got Six Sigma, we got, you know, DevOps, we got SRE, we've got COVID. And I think it's at the end of the day, it, it matters how you how you take everything, right? And then how you how you deploy it. And then at the end of the day, how you provide the value. So I honestly think that uh, in my experience, I think, I think it's just a matter of somebody coming in and <laughs> taking charge and saying, okay, well, this is how we're going to do things. And 
Because, you know, I, I think that a lot of times, um, you know, executives are not, you know, aware of all that which goes along. Because, you know, I tell, will tell you, uh, you know, um, what to do. It doesn't tell you how to do it. Right. It's up to you how to do that and how to best utilize all those frameworks that are out there. So, yeah, I mean, you know, um, so it's, it's more of a kind of an architecture, right? I mean, like you have a IT technology system architecture, application architecture, the same way we've got the, you know, service management architecture, right? And you, you, you kind of pretty much need somebody who is an architect of IT service management is going to, you know, uh, take the reins on. <laughs> oh, yes. And and I'm going to uh, pile on just a little bit there. It Those metrics, so compliance is huge for almost every leader. And yeah. performance, yes, especially because performance is usually in the context context of an external provider. Right. And health is more internal. But it's still, what does the business customer need from those three? If you're at a bank, you have certain groups that need a compliance aspect for socks or sock or whatever. Yep. And so you want to measure what's important from that aspect. Does that sound fair? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, it, it does sound fair. And, and I, and I got there's a word of caution there as well, right? I mean, so while those SOCs, compliance and COBIT and all those frameworks, they would define something. Um, and and it, it kind of, I, I guess it matters from industry to industry, how those, those firms, IT, IT firms, or IT shops, organization, how those implement them, because there's a lot of difference between what is what is supposed to be and what is, you know. Because I mean, a lot of time to your point, those metrics, um, you know, when when you when you kind of look at them, it's it's like if you if you really drill down into it, they're watermelon metrics because you know, um, I, copy tells you follow this, you know, and, and you should have incident management, problem management, change management, stuff like that, right? And from software development perspective as well, and all those, um, you know, th those those uh, controls are there. But, um, you know, once you go start digging in there uh, and then you started actually measuring the processes and procedures, they're different, right? I mean, um, it's like, um, you know, it's like apples and oranges, right? I mean, yes. they can, anybody can define the process as they want to and they say, oh, we have, we're COVID compliant or we're SOX compliant, but are you really, <laughs> you know? So those are the, those are the really, uh, you know, are the ones we should look for. So that's a word of caution there. <laughs> I agree. And it's kind of like CMDB. You have to have somebody helping you that knows what they're doing, right? right. I mean, somebody's got to help. I think of a ship, but somebody's got to navigate. And because uh, I, I found this stat and uh, maybe it'll ring true for you, but I think of a boat that leaves the East Coast of the US and it's trying to get to London. And for every one degree off it is, for every mile, it misses its mark by 92 point something feet which right. doesn't sound like much, but now you're going the thousand plus miles over there. You're going to miss your mark by a lot. And that's only being one degree off. And right. so that's how it is with this. If you do not have people who can help steer the ship, re recalibrate, Hey, we got to recalibrate and get on track now. So right. as we go through our last topic, you, you brought it up a little bit. There's the, the mix of agile and DevOps and site re reliability engineering, SRE, along with ITIL, and it's it's kind of a jumbled mess. And so this is just my view, and I don't want to push on you, but I want to get your viewpoint on yeah, sure. the agile and the DevOps and the SRE are being pushed up an organization into the design, the build, the transition, 
ITIL in many organizations is being pushed down into an operations mode because that we've outsourced that to our external service provider. And we didn't care about it until we have this external service provider. But now that we, we have an external service provider, oh, we want to keep them in line. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and it's just one of those things. SLAs, I've been to a lot of companies that never cared about SLAs until they had an external service provider. Now right. we care. And yeah. so how do you see all of those? Because some companies have all four of those, Agile, DevOps, SRE, and ITIL in the same company. How do yeah. you see them all getting along? Um, I, I don't really see them all getting along very well, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a challenge, right? I mean, I think that different executives, uh, you know, in different firms or different, um, you know, industries, but from IT perspective, they've got a different view, different idea of what works the best. And then basically, you know, that's how we go by. But in actuality, like I was saying earlier, it's it's kind of an architecture, right? Like, you know, how you develop your system or from application perspective or how you develop your infrastructure from an architectural perspective, you know, and design perspective, it's the same thing as, as that, right? So when you've got, um, you know, service management office, SMO for that matter, right? And that's how it's supposed to be developed as well, right? So um, I see like, if you look at from, you know, managing across life cycle from, you know, ITIL perspective, right? Um, and there it kind of defines the, you know, agile and, 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 and SRE and DevOps and everything. And then, but the, the idea is kind of pushed down to, okay, well, you know, once, so, 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 so IT leaders are kind of bringing SRE and all those and DevOps and everything, um, um, basically saying that, oh, this is basically it, right? I mean, that's all we need. But whereas it's kind of not really, because, you know, if you look at from architecture standpoint, you need everything, you know, like I said earlier, right? I mean, I will tell you, um, you know, what it is, but they don't tell you how to do it, right? But, and that's kind of a, a I don't know if it's a drawback or not, but that's something, um, you know, uh, I think, I think in version four, they, they kind of, uh, you know, start going on a different route, right? I think you probably mentioned in, in your book as well, that, you know, it's not as detailed, um, you know, so, so it's, it's kind of a, you know, again, going back to the same word, it's kind of an architectural um, area that, you know, you gotta, you gotta define and define in, in your services. Um, so, you know, yeah, Agile and, and SRE DevOps is there, but, but none, none of those are gonna basically replace ITEL because, you know, at the end of the day, I think, um, I think all those frameworks kind of complement ITEL. That's what I'm yes. thinking. Um, it's not that, you know, you just implement SRE or just implement DevOps or just, you know, they all complement each other in a perfect way. Um, and, and then I see that companies don't, don't, don't really do that. I mean, I think that something is a weakness maybe, um, you know, maybe an opportunity as well for, for leaders who, uh, you know, are trying to implement, uh, you know, to the best way possible. Uh, it's an opportunity as well for them to, to see that, hey, you know, okay, we need to look at from our architectural standpoint, not just framework standpoint, right? And what happens, if we're being frank, is that the C-level turns over much more frequently than we we really when we see the numbers it's like every three years or something yeah and so each time they're like oh and I don't want to I'm, I'm paraphrasing and generalizing I'm not saying about anybody specific yeah but they're like they come in they're like all oh, those previous people are idiots here's how we're going to do it <laughs> and and so they they institute their way of doing it and then you know by the time it gets up and going now the new the next regime comes in oh those people are idiots blah 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 yeah and so I still think that agile is going to be how things are designed and implemented and DevOps some that way. 
yeah. and transitioned, if you want to use uh, B3 kind of conversation vernacular. But right. I think to your point, ITIL still has that role in that operations because it has the CMDB, what is yeah. going to be changed, your incident management, your change management. There's still that role that none of, none of the other frameworks yeah. understand or, or uh, they take on. No, absolutely. I totally agree with you because, I mean, end-to-end service lifecycle or end-to-end service value system is only defined in ITEL and not in SRE. It's not in, you know, uh, DevOps. It's not in, you know, Agile for that matter. The whole end-to-end is is defined within ITEL. And then, um, you know, I, I that's what I was saying earlier that, you know, it, it, the other frameworks or, or methodology for that matter, if you want to call them, they only complement ITEL, right? I mean, that's something... Um, you know, um, the value only comes from that perspective, right? I mean, you can, because I think um, from, from my standpoint, from my understanding, all those other methodology or framework are, are, are only from operational perspective, not from end-to-end service delivery, you know, or, or service strategy for that matter as well, right? So end-to-end service value, it's only, it's only from ITIL standpoint. So, yep. I and agree. so service, some of the service management leaders, they feel like they're getting their toes stepped on to use an American phrase. They, yeah, yeah, they're like, hey, this is getting a little too close. We like the design and we like all this other part that was traditionally service management. How can those leaders help turn this the tide and work together with Agile instead of being, uh, I use Agile, it could be DevOps or SRE, yeah. Yeah. versus uh, us against them, you know, that the, versus being the tail and seeing the other as the dog, so to speak. I think that, um, and like I was saying earlier, right, it's a top-down approach. I, I, I honestly think that the top-down approach needs to come into picture here. And I think that um, in my experience, you know, a lot of companies, they're missing SMO, right? Service management office. I mean, they've got a PMO, right? Which is project management office, and they've got other offices, right? And then uh, uh, I don't uh, think that I've seen lot many of SMOs, some companies who really understand ITSM, um, COVID and, and all those frameworks, right? They do understand the value of that, that they need to have an SMO, right? Um, Sometimes it can, becomes political, um, you know, all those all those areas come under one, um, you know, one roof, which basically manages everything, right? And then, right. so it's not a separate entity. Uh, so it becomes very political, right? I mean, because if you if you are providing um, services from IT perspective and you have SMO or those functions within you, it's basically you. It's kind of a, a I would say, for lack of a better better term, a conflict of interest, right? Yes. <laughs> you know, it's become it becomes politic. So, um, well, I mean, political. So, um, yeah, I, I think that a lot of it could be resolved by having an SMO. Also, um, if if uh, expertise are not in house bringing somebody like you, you know, uh, your company, I think would really help benefit, of course, because, um, you know, um, everybody, every field has, has an expert. And then, so we need an expert to have that drive that SMO, right? Um, we, we cannot be, you know, the other way is to, you know, provide training internally and stuff like that, right? And then making sure, but that of course takes a long, long time, right? Um, uh, the other day I was, I was uh, you know, I would like to mention Clubhouse to you because I think we talked about Clubhouse a little bit. I was listening to one of the podcasts within Clubhouse um, and then they were talking about leadership, right? And then they were saying that there's, a, there's two, um, you know, parallel uh, entities that work together. One is a visionary, the other one is an executor. So they both need to work hand in hand, right? And then basically if, if, if they work right, then things go right, right? So um, I think that, you know, I think, like I said, uh, top-down approach, you know, uh, management, chain management, having an understanding of what 
from ITS and ITIL and all those frameworks actually mean from architectural standpoint. Um, I think that's something what is needed in this. And, and finally, establishing an SMO. And if you don't have expertise in-house, hire somebody from outside who can help you. So thank you for the kind words. And I'm right there with you in agreement because that's why in the book, not to reference it too much, I put the in-house expertise as a as a potential obstacle or at least a factor on how quickly you can transition to ITIL 4 because those are your people that are on the front lines communicating value. Those are the people that, that are helping you take those steps. And if you don't have those people, you need some outside help because training's not going to get them there fast enough, I don't think. That's just my personal yeah. uh, view because the we all understand the the what and the how it's trying to get people to understand the why and you know the it's like having a you know two-year-old three-year-old why 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 because <laughs> some people have to understand it fully before they buy in and yeah yeah and good example of that is like problem management right yes. i mean so once once you fun once, once you uh first onboard problem management and, and newly uh, you know, practice or process, whatever you want to call it, right? Uh, a newly problem management practice, um, you know, uh, at, at that time, you're like totally reactionary, right? I mean, and then some time go by and then you basically become re uh, proactive from reactive to proactive, right? So most of your force is um, where when they were, um, you know, doing reactive problem management, the long-term goal is to do um, proactive problem management, right? But if you stay for reactive problem management for the longest time, that's some that's a problem, right? I mean, that's not that's not really a good thing because it's not meant to be like that. But if you stay reactive mode, and then that's not that that's not going to provide value what problem management is supposed to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, in-house expertise is is good. I mean, I think the best thing to do if if somebody doesn't have an in-house expertise, bring in somebody as a trainer. Um, you know, embark on the journey train the trainers and then after what the trainers are going to probably you know uh, replicate through other organization right so from again from architecture standpoint <laughs> yes and it's how it's built it's a house how do we build the house and exactly. uh, how do we govern the building of the house with the uh, smo and also your governance for your process as well as your cmdb how do we do this in a in a thought out way and your your example on problem management i was helping an organization late last year and they were all in the reactive mode. And I was trying to help explain the value that once you move to proactive, you'll see much better results because right. your results won't be on the problem side. They'll be on the incident side, reducing potential incidents before they, they pop up. And how do we measure those? How do we look at that as a problem statement and try to address it backwards? And problem management's tough. It's like CMDB. It's tough. Yeah. And uh, I don't mean to say nobody should do it. I'm just saying... It's not easy and it's, I mean, it's doing not. one cause and going yeah. so, you know, it's kind of like doing the change uh, uh, post-implementation reviews. Nobody likes saying, so Mr. Smith, why'd your change fail? You know, I mean, nobody right. likes that. And right. especially Mr. Smith, you know, because you get yelled at. And yeah. so it's one of those that certain servicemen, I'm on blanket statement, take, go sideways here a minute with yeah. seeing. But I think service management roles are some of the most difficult ones within an organization because you don't go to school for them. They're all soft skills, not all, but there's a lot of soft skills and you need to be able to deal with people, which is unique for IT. And how do you 
I, anyway, that's my tangent is organizations need to figure out how to keep their people, how to keep training, help keep growing their uh, service management people. Yep, absolutely. I, I think that OCM, right, organization change management is one of the things, right? I mean, when, um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, when, when, when uh, from, I guess, from leadership perspective, IT leadership or executive management perspective, um, I, I honestly think that when, when the, that office has been established, I think that there is a big, big, big need, I would say, for, for you know, bringing in at the same time and, and, and OCM, uh, you know, uh, uh, experts, right? Yes. Because um, if, if we try to do it from um, internally, uh, you know, might, might, might or might not have uh, experts within, you know, uh, within in-house that, you know, that can, that, can, that can change the culture, the things which have been done for years and years and years. It's hard. It's not easy, right? OCM is something you really don't find it internally. You actually, I've seen in my experience that a lot of companies, they hire OCM experts and then they come in, they, you know, and then they hold hand and making sure that how they're going to do that. I mean, they know what they're doing. So you need SMEs for that, for that perspective. You can't just have an, you know, uh, uh, some kind of cultural change just like that out of the, out of the blue. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. They don't see it as a problem. That's the issue, right? That's why right. you need the organizational change because the internal people don't see it as a problem or else yeah. it would have been addressed on, ongoing. Not to, not to stand out too far on a limb there, but that's exactly. just you know one of those things. All right, last question. I appreciate your time with Seam, and thank you for sharing your expertise with us. Absolutely. Service management as a service. It's hard for me to say that quickly. Service management as a service, S-M-A-A-S. It's growing. It's becoming popular. People want to have this, so there's these externally uh, outsourced outsourced uh, operation to external partners, and then they're like, but you know we can't trust our partner with our service management org, so we need it as a service. Right? How can how can organizations employ this SMAAS in a way that it helps provide that governance? Because service management does allow governance; it allows a business view of your IT services, things of, like, of that nature. How can, how can that be employed? Um, again, so again, it will probably, you know, start from the top down, right? I mean, it's, it's all about the, the vision, you know, I would say um, going back to, you know, uh, going back to what I was mentioning earlier to, um, uh, you know, from my perspective, um, um, you know, we, we service strategy, right? I mean, the service strategy is basically we're looking for here, um, you know, where you're going to have a defined vision, defined mission, you know, what are you trying to do here? And, you know, and then, um, so it, it, you know, I think, I think, I honestly think some portions could be, could be, could be good candidates for, um, you know, for, for, for uh, service management as a service. Some probably won't be, you know, it, it all depends, I guess, how the SMO is set up. Um, you know, being successful in there, I think probably probably going to have a strong, strong, strong SLAs, right? Strong, very strong SLM, uh, service, service on management, uh, and kind of drive those, underpin all those OLAs, making sure that, you know, uh, we were doing internally as well as, 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 as much as we're working with the vendors and partners for that matter, whoever our, uh, you know, service provider would be for that matter. So I think that again, vision, mission, uh, strategy, right? Um, and then very strong SLM. So one of my thoughts on it is I would not have the company that I'm outsourcing to be my managed service provider 
for service management. You need some difference there so you have some objectivity. Do you agree with that or am I being too strong? No, you're, you're, you're perfectly, and that's what I was saying that some portion might, some portion won't be able to write. I mean, it's, you can't really probably do 100%, honestly, because I think that's, that's, that's not really, I mean, then probably we're not going to get a value out of that easily, right? right? right. I mean, that's something is going to probably, if you do 100%, it's probably going to fail to begin with, right? So, but yeah, some portion you can, some portion you, you cannot, absolutely cannot. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you. You're not being hard. You're right. <laughs> so one thought on that in, and it, it occurred to me this week is that if you do outsource your service management along with your, your other operations, you're never going to see, you may be compliant, but you'll never see any improvement, any of the continual improvements. The continual improvements will be seen by the service provider. They will incorporate them. You'll never see them because, you know, why should they? Because your service management office and and your organization will be able to find improvements. But if you outsource it, those improvements, you're never going to see them. Right, right, exactly. And I've actually, I've seen that as a fail because I know that some of the companies, they outsource their service desk, um, for that matter. Um, huge, huge company. I don't want to mention the name, but uh, there are a couple, actually. Um, they, they, you know, outsource their service, uh, service desk and whole service desk, uh, you know, service uh, uh, desk function out there to actually outsource offshore, offshore for that matter. Um, years and years back, they have to bring it back in because yeah. they did not see that value. Um, it's it's not happened one time; it happened multiple times with different companies, um, and it's it's no surprise, of course, right? You won't see value in that, of course. And because the the out the partner's the one that's going to be looking for value, and right. how can they do it better? They're not going to pass it on to you and say. Now, Mr. Customer, we found this way to save you 5%. No, <laughs> they're going to say, Mr. Customer, yes, we can hold our uh, our prices steady another year. Well, they're saving 5% on their end. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, just everybody does what they're incentivized to do. Of course, so I seeing, mean, and that, yeah. that becomes very political, right? I mean, that's what it's all about, right? I mean, when they get incentivized, um, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's something... Then it comes into the service service value, right? You, then that transparency is not there. Um, you know that service delivery is not there. You know, um, so yeah, it, it it kind of becomes a challenge then. Oh yes, and you can't really outsource governance. You can't oh, abdicate right. your responsibility there. You can you can pass on the work, but not the responsibility. Right. Right. Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kind of like security. You can outsource security, but if there's a cyber attack that partner's not going to end up in the news, you will. And you the will. same with this other, you know, uh, Enron's remembered for socks. Oh my God, yeah. Less that, people yeah. remember Arthur Anderson as the accounting firm that allowed, yeah. not allowed it, but, you know, didn't find right. it. Right, and right. So it's just one of those things. Thank you for joining us with Seam and sharing your knowledge with us. My pleasure, Jeffrey. I was pleased to, to join in this discussion. Really enjoyed it. Um, you know, uh, always, always enjoy it. So thank you very much. And uh, I hope you have a great day. Thank you all for watching and listening. Thank you. Bye-bye.